<clears throat> the first sermon, we talked about the nature of angels, that they're created beings, specifically created by God as individual beings, that there's many of them created, <clears throat> that they're invisible to our physical eyes, but they exist around us uh, in the spiritual dimension. And they are able to come into our dimension when necessary, when God instructs them to, to serve us as God's sons and daughters, the inheritors of salvation. We talked uh, the second week about the job description of angels. We talked about several of the things that God has given them to do. They protect us, they inform us, they explain what God is doing at different points in time uh, to individuals. Uh, they, at the time of our death, the scripture seems to imply that they transport our spirit to be in God's presence. And when Jesus returns, they're going to gather all of the elect to meet Jesus at his second coming. So we've learned a lot about angels. There's an unfortunate part of the story because not all of the angels that God created remained loyal and obedient to him. And his word explains that to us. So we're going to study that a little bit today. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Because here in Genesis, a beautiful story about how God created the whole universe. He created this earth with all of its beauty, the plants, the animals, everything that exists on it, made perfect for human race. And then he indeed created the first man, Adam, and a mate for him, his wife, Eve. And they're dwelling with God in this beautiful setting of the Garden of Eden. So a wonderful story, a wonderful beginning for the human race. But as it says here in Genesis 3 verse 1, as they were there in the garden, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Okay, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Who is this? <laughs> Whoever heard of a talking serpent? Where did he come from? What is this thing that is now going to tempt Adam and Eve to sin? Well, that has to do with not all of the angels that God created remaining loyal and obedient to him. God's going to inform us as we study a little bit today that there was one in particular and along with him several others that disobeyed God, that rebelled against God. And here, just as God brings the human race into existence, we're going to learn a little bit about their attitude because their attitude is not good. I'm not talking about Adam and Eve's attitude. I'm talking about the serpent's attitude. The serpent is trying right from the beginning here to obstruct God's relationship with Adam and Eve, to cut them off from the blessings that they have already received from God, the beauty of the Garden of Eden, the relationship with God that they have, personal relationship. And what this serpent does here is try to convince Adam and Eve that God is a liar. So it shows you what his attitude has been he thinks of God as a liar, and he's going to try to convince Adam and Eve that God is a liar. Now, we know that God is not a liar. God is the source of truth 
But because of this individual's rebellion and sin against God, he is already trying to influence the human race to see things the way he sees them, not the way God sees them. So he questions God to them. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And again, he replies, you will not surely die. So he's calling God a liar. He's saying God is misleading you. You see, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that in and of itself is a lie. God told them not to eat of that particular tree for their own good. He wants them to rely on him, on God for the knowledge of good and evil, what is right and what is wrong. And we know in our society today, when people take it upon themselves to decide what is right and wrong, chaos exists. You know, just this past week, we had a young man who thought it was okay to go into a, sh a school and shoot a number of students. See, that's what happens when you rely on yourself to determine what is right and wrong. God wanted Adam and Eve to rely on God to determine what is right and wrong. And we know the story in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So the first sin, disobedience to God for what he had instructed them not to do. So it's funny how this serpent, and we're going to learn later on, well, we'll turn right there to Revelation 12, verse 9. The Bible identifies who this serpent was. Revelation 12, verse 9 says this. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent. So the serpent in the Garden of Eden, the serpent in the book of Genesis, called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So the Bible identifies who this serpent was, and it was Satan. And why was he trying to get Adam and Eve to sin? Because he had already sinned. He had already disobeyed God and led not only himself, but other angels in rebellion against God. So you see, we wouldn't know this if we just started reading in Genesis here. It tells the story of the beginning of the human race, but this had happened previously. Satan, one of the angels that God had created, rebelled against him and led other angels along with him in rebellion and in sin against God. So, why did this happen? And how did this happen? Was this out of God's control? Well, of course not. God was well aware of what was going to happen. God knew in advance that once he created the human race, 
He knew that Satan had already rebelled against him and was going to be a very negative influence on human beings. God knew this. He saw this coming. He allowed it to happen. Why? Because he had already formulated a whole plan to save the human race. And it had to do with his only begotten son, the Word, as it was called previously, who became Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could become our Savior. He was going to live his life. He was going to go to the cross to die for our sins. God had this all planned in advance. You know, he wasn't surprised by anything. He wasn't dumbfounded, you know, when this all happened. He knew that Satan was going to try to influence Adam and Eve. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to uh, stumble and fall and sin just as uh, Satan did. But you see, this was all a part of God's plan. And it was all going to bring glory to him. He was going to save this whole human race that he had created. And Satan was just a bump in the road. And actually, Satan, by tempting Adam and Eve, participated in God's plan for the salvation of the human race. So the serpent, later identified as Satan, or the devil. And he has been a thorn in the flesh of the human race ever since. And God has allowed that, because God knew that we were all going to sin, and we were all going to need a savior, So he kind of used Satan and his negative attitude against God and against the human race as a tool, so to speak. So God allowed Satan to have access to the garden and his temptation was part of God's plan to bring salvation to the human race through Jesus Christ and glory to himself. Remember it says in the book of Revelation, it talked about the lamb that was slain Jesus Christ, the land that was slain from the foundation of the world, it says. So all the way back here at the beginning, God had the plan all formulated about the Lamb of God dying, slain from the foundation of the world. So you see, everything works to God's purpose. Things are never out of control. Never. And that includes our lives, too. Sometimes we think things are so bad and topsy-turvy that everything is just out of control. There's no hope. It is never out of control when you are a child of God. Don't forget that. So as we see prior to this, Satan had been an angelic being with powerful responsibilities at God's throne in heaven. Now, he doesn't reveal a whole lot of information about this, but he reveals just enough so that we know where we stand, who Satan is, he's our enemy, and we need to rely on God and be on guard against Satan. Notice in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, what Jesus says here. Luke 10 and verse 18. Luke 10:18 Jesus replied, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." So, you know, if I was there, I was going to say, "Jesus, fill us in a little bit more on that." That's that one sentence there is not enough. I want to know more. But that's just part of the explanation. 
Satan was previously one of the angels that God had created, who had access to heaven, who had responsibilities at heaven at the throne of God, but come the time of his rebellion and his sin, and that wasn't enough, his goal was to lead others along with him in rebellion, which he did. So this shows us, this is a proof that angels have free wills. You know, they're not mindless robots that God creates that have to do his will all the time. He gave them a free will to either obey or not obey. Thankfully, most of the angels remain in solid obedience and respect to God. But a portion of the angels led by Satan did not. And it isn't it interesting that he has given us the same free will. And we have a free will to choose whether to obey God or not to obey God. So you see, God wants the angels and he wants us as his children to love him because we choose to love him. He doesn't want us to be, again, robots, or what do they call it now, artificial intelligence, that just kind of go around and we obey him because we're programmed to obey him. No, we're not robots, we're human beings with a free will. And it pleases God when we choose to obey him and we choose to love him. You know, how would you feel if you know, your kids loved you because they had to love you. That's not real love. Or they respected you because they had to respect you. That's not real respect. It's gotta be based on a choice. So God gives us all a choice to either accept him or reject him. And he has given the same choice to the angels. Most of them love him, obey him, and are committed to him, but a portion of them are not. So Satan fell from heaven. He was probably booted from heaven. He didn't slip and fall. <laughs> because of his rebellion, he was pushed out of his place of authority in heaven. And where did he land? On earth. And now this is his primary dwelling place. That's good news for God and, and heaven, bad news for us. Because now he is extant in the world with the same bad attitude, and he's trying to spread that around. And he's convincing people not to believe in God, that God is foolishness, and not to obey God. You know, that same bad attitude is contagious. Do you ever notice that just in living, you know, with our family or with people at work? All it takes is for one person to have a bad attitude about something at work, and it spreads because they start talking about it. We're not getting paid enough. Or the boss doesn't respect us. Or we should be getting more days off. You know, the more that goes around the office or, or the plant where you work, the more people get into a bad attitude. And we as Christians have to be on guard even when we go to work. Because as soon as you detect a bad attitude, you need to be careful. You need to keep that person at arm's length. Or before you know it, you're gonna catch that same attitude. That's what Satan did with the angels that he uh, uh, had join him in rebellion. So a bad attitude is a very dangerous thing. And I remember, uh, you know, going to a Christian college, we used to joke one another, 
and some of the guys or some of the gals that we went to college with, when we saw somebody was in a bad attitude and complaining a lot, we'd say, you need to get over, <laughs> you need to get over that bad attitude that you're in. And I know sometimes even with my wife, we, we joke around and, uh, you know, she comes home from work and has had a really bad day and the boss was on her back and, you know, things were going wrong and, you know, I'll listen to her patiently, but I said, you know, we need to make sure we're not in a bad attitude about this. And she says the same thing to me because pastors can get into bad attitudes too. And you need to be careful because that's the attitude of Satan. Complaining, rebelling, uh, you know, disobeying, whatever the case may be. This was a being created by God who had a high position, and he lost it because his attitude was so bad and so carried away, and it wasn't just enough for him. He had to spread it around and purposely trying to get other angels to see things the way he saw them in a negative, complaining, critical, rebellious way. So here comes Satan down to earth now and dwelling here amongst the human race. And I'll tell you what, when you study the history of Western civilization and other civilizations, you certainly see Satan's profound effect over the millennia. You see wars, you see uh, invasions, one country invading another, you see plagues, you see all these natural disasters all brought about by Satan and his way. I want to turn to Luke, uh, since we're in Luke here, uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 5. So it became very evident that Satan now has a certain amount of God-allowed authority here on this earth, that he is able to influence nations uh, to bring about wars and uh, uh, persecuting people. You know, we've had so many, even in our lifetimes, we've had world leaders who have persecuted their own people, their own nations, especially when we think about Russia and we think about China and some of the dictators and fascists that have come along, uh, all influenced by Satan in this way. And mankind has suffered and continue, continues to suffer under his influence and his do domain on this earth. You know, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, we're all aware of this passage here where Jesus had prepared to face Satan face to face. And there were three major uh, temptations that uh, Satan used to tempt Jesus to sin. One of them stands out here in Luke 4 verse 5. The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. So when Satan was cast out of heaven and down to earth, somehow, part of God's plan, he was given great influence over all the nations of the world. And don't forget, Satan is a spirit. So he's going to be around for millennia on this earth. So like I said, when you trace back history, you see his fingerprints all over all of the real negative and uh, deadly things that have happened on this earth. So he says to Jesus, I'll give you authority over the whole earth 
for it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to, verse 7. So if you worship me, Satan says to Jesus, imagine that. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. Man, what gall he has to tempt the Son of God to worship Satan. But that kind of shows you the background of his thinking. You know, very prideful, where he, in a sense, thinks that he is greater than God. So it's based on pride, it's based on self, and imagine tempting Jesus as if Jesus would do it, but of course Jesus rejects him. Verse 8, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this is part of Satan's motive as being in authority over the nations of the earth. He wants to be worshipped. He thinks he is greater than God. Turn with me now to John chapter 8. And Jesus set the example for us in rejecting Satan and obeying only God. But now in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, something else explaining what Satan is involved in, in the world. John 8, beginning in verse 42, he's in an argument with the Pharisees in this case. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come down on my own, but he sent me. So these people reject Jesus as the Messiah, reject him as the son of God, and Jesus is going to explain why. He says to them, why is my language not clear to you? because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father, the devil's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Talking about Satan, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? For I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So a powerful statement by Jesus. What Satan does is he actively works to nullify the effect of the word of God in people's hearts and minds. And you ever wonder why, you know, on any given Sunday when we come to church, there's scads and scads of people who are not going to church on any given Sunday. There's scads and scads of people who are not Christians, who downright don't believe in God and think it's all a myth and it's all just silly. Well, you can see the effect of Satan's work. Because Satan works on people, he works on their minds and their hearts, and he tries to convince them that the whole business of God is but a joke. And if you believe in God and if you go to church, you're foolish. 
and Satan has done some pretty good work. When you look at this society today, and you look at everything that's going on, and you look at people who reject God and don't want to put God in the picture and put God out of schools and you know you can't teach about God in this respect or that respect because you're stomping on somebody's rights well like I said Satan has done a good job and we got a lot of people in this world suffering and dying now something interesting about Satan is that uh, his punishment awaits him in Matthew 8, God has it all planned out that he's going to allow Satan to run his course in this world until the time comes for Jesus' return. And he has already planned out what's going to happen to Satan and the angels or the demons that rebelled along with him. Matthew 8, verse 28. And Satan is well aware of what the future holds for him, and there's nothing he can do about it. Interesting story in Matthew 8, verse 28. When Jesus arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men. So we see here that Satan's influence, he's not just a tempter, but in certain cases, he, he or his demons can take over pretty much the control of a person. Now, there are a lot of different factors involved in how that can happen. It can't happen to God's children because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us. We can be influenced by Satan, we can be tempted by Satan, but we certainly cannot be possessed by a demon or by Satan. People who are not children of God can be troubled in this way. So we see here two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him, Jesus. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? What's that? <laughs> well, Satan and the demons know that there is an appointed time coming when they are gonna suffer irreparable punishment and torture, if you will, forever. They know that that time is coming. They see Jesus and they're mocking him saying, what, are you gonna, you're here before the appointed time to you know, give us some hassle or whatever? And some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out of the men that they were possessing and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. So a demon can possess a person and can also possess an animal. Imagine that. But thank God that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit and that's part of the protection that God gives us from Satan. So there's a time coming when the angels will receive their punishment. Second Peter 2 verse 4. Second Peter 2 verse 4. Peter says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell or to Hades, 
putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. So again, just a little snippet of the background information about these beings and what's ultimately going to happen to them. So in a sense, when they were cast down from heaven to earth, they're kind of being held here temporarily until their time of judgment comes and they receive their final punishment. And then finally in Revelation 20. Revelation 20 and verse 10. It talks about the end of all things at Jesus' return. Uh, it talks about our reward, the new Jerusalem, and uh, being transformed into glorified bodies and, and everything that we're going to receive. But sure enough, it says here in uh, Revelation 20, verse 10, what's going to happen eventually. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So their ultimate destiny is not good. They know it. They know it's just a matter of time until Jesus returns and all of this is carried out. And finally what will be carried out is their judgment and their punishment. They're not looking forward to it. But uh, in the meantime, they're trying to wreak havoc on earth. As much as they can, they would love to tempt us <laughs> to turn against God. Not only to sin, but to rebel against God, to you know, walk away from our calling and our, and our salvation. And I think one of the reasons why they possess a human being is not only to have power and authority over a person, but somehow they may think that by being inside of a, a person, they can escape their ultimate destiny and punishment. But that's not possible. So they're twisted in their anger, their resentment against God. The minds that they have been given are somehow warped and uh, insanity has set in but thankfully God protects us he puts his seal on us he marks us as being very special and there's only so far that Satan can go with regard to us to others who are not children of God they can have their whole lives and minds taken over but not us so we need to draw close to God he is our protector he is our savior he is the rock that we lean on. He's the one that we depend on. And he has promised that he will watch over us and uh, see to it that we make it all the way through to the very end when we receive our heavenly reward. So unfortunately, that's a negative aspect about the angelic realm. It's very real. Like I said, most people will think it's nonsense and a bunch of fairy tales. But God informs us through his word and through the Holy Spirit. He has given us the ability to take it, to understand it. He hasn't given us the whole story. He's given us as much as we need to know, to know whose side we're on and that we are to respect and obey God and to love him more than any, anything else. And yet to be on guard against our enemy, who, as the Bible says, goes around like a roaring lion seeking who, may, who he may devour. And there are people in the world that he can devour, 
but he can't devour us because we are God's children. But yet that gives us more of an incentive to want to draw close to God with all of our might. So uh, we give thanks and praise to God for his goodness. And a lot has gone on in history before us, before the human race ever even existed on earth. And a lot of it is background, a lot of it is in the spiritual realm, but it's important to us to understand what we can about it. And again, the lesson is to rely on God with all of our might. So we're gonna uh, once again have the opportunity to come to the Lord's table.